0: with a closer look at the news and events affecting Prince George. Welcome to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM.
1: Well, it's a sunnier morning than we've had recently, which of course means it's also a little bit chillier. Alan Wishart in the host chair, Steve on the board as usual.
2: Good morning, Alan.
1: And we are going to get right into it because my first guest is on the line. Leanne Tripp from the University of Northern British Columbia and Leanne, before we get into what you've been studying recently, I have to ask: What is a biomedical anthropologist?
3: Oh, well, I'm glad that you asked, Alan. That's mm. a good, that's a good question. Um, and uh, I actually teach a course on this, so and I'm in the midst of teaching this course. So, a biomedical anthropologist is an anthropologist that studies health. It's um, an anthropologist that studies both cultural and biological factors of health. So the term is a little bit misleading uh, because it's not just someone who studies biology or medicine. Uh, We can study uh, infectious diseases like I do. We can study uh, uh, nutrition. We can work in communities and uh, facilitate access to health care, that sort of thing. So I hope that clarifies. So so it's not someone that works In a lab or a clinic, uh, we either work in the field with communities or someone like myself who works in the archives and goes through uh, records of diseases.
1: Now, I have to ask them, because you mentioned that you sort of specialize in infectious diseases. Yes. What, shall we say, possessed you to take an interest in infectious diseases? It doesn't sound like a thing most people would be interested in. Um, Well,
3: I, I have to say... My uh, schooling, I think it, it was really, I was always interested in anthropology and the study of humanity and uh, human uh, evolution and human cultures, and I was just really drawn through my undergrad uh, studies to, uh, studies of uh, health and infectious diseases. I, I was always just, I just found it very curious, these epidemics that would uh, pop up throughout history and pandemics of plague, and I had some great professors uh, that were teaching me uh, about all sorts of pandemics and plagues, and I just found it fascinating. I wanted to know more. What 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 can we learn from epidemics, and can we sort of take apart or deconstruct these epidemics and uh, figure out who's more at risk and why? And uh, that's, that's really what's Uh, started my interest and I I started doing some research in in graduate school and then I decided to do a PhD in that and I'm I'm continuing to do that to to this day. So
1: So I'm guessing it's kind of tough to do anything on COVID right now other than just sort of amassing the data as it goes along because we're still right in the, well hopefully we're getting near the end, but we are basically in the middle of it. So I'm thinking probably a fair bit of your work has been on the Spanish flu because that's the one where there's at least some information. So, um,
3: most of my work is historical in nature, and quite a bit of it has been on the uh, 1918 or Spanish flu uh, pandemic, and and my research has, uh, until recently, focused in the Mediterranean using archival information from uh, the British government. Uh, But I am looking, um, for the last couple of years, I've been going into the records here in B.C. looking at what was experienced like in northern B.C. Uh, there has been a, a bit of work done that was done about 20 years ago. Uh, and I'm, I'm finding... <clears throat> No, I'm not doing direct research on this, but I, I can I can really reflect on parallels between 1918 uh, pandemic's experience that people have gone through and what we're experiencing today. And in fact, I think we can say with most epidemics, we can see parallels to the experience about the public's perception of disease, uh, mitigation measures that are put into place. Uh, and, and how, how that was done throughout history and how we're doing it today. And there's, there's quite, a, a, quite a few similarities. And we can talk about 100 years ago with an epidemic and, and compare it to today's uh, pandemic and even 200 years ago. So I, I find that somewhat uh, astonishing. It, it, it always makes me it's sort of I'm in disbelief that, wow, you know, there, there were some governments that had, uh, you know, bylaws for wearing masks. In 1918, um, BC seems to be one place that didn't, uh, um, and but uh, you know other provinces did. And it's just interesting to see uh, just how some of these measures that we were putting in place many you know, hundreds of years ago are, are coming back today.
1: Now, I'm guessing the one thing that it's very difficult to find reliable information on, if you will, is like first-hand interviews with people who went through the Spanish flu because probably not too many people were really interested in talking about it afterwards.
3: You know, uh, that's a very good point. In fact, uh, that is very common with many epidemics. During the epidemic, uh, the voices of the people, and especially in the historical context, much of what remains are records that are usually written by some health officials or other government officials' correspondences, that sort of thing. So uh, we are fortunate, though, that uh, at the archives at UNBC uh, there are some recordings uh, of stories that have been passed on uh, from some individuals uh, that have been now, of course, deceased. But there are some recordings. There, uh, there are some secondhand stories that have been passed on, especially among uh, First Nations communities, that have been recorded by other scholars uh, and, and published. So there are some, but you are right; it is very difficult uh, to find information. And I, I think. It's great to see there are many initiatives right now where uh, there are archives, there are governments that are trying to make sure that people are recording their memories of the current pandemic, so that's not lost. And 1918 is considered to be, up until recently, it was the forgotten pandemic. It Mm. was sort of the pandemic that no one studied, that we didn't talk about, and and only until COVID came out, I think, you know, we're really hearing a lot about it now.
1: So... um how long, because you were saying you're in the middle of teaching a course right now on pandemics. Is this a course you've done before?
3: Oh, no, sorry. I, I taught oh, sorry. a course on pandemics okay. in, uh, in May, June. I'm in the middle of a course on medical anthropology right. and, and okay. teaching what okay. is biomedical anthropology. So that's, that's what I was referring to. But I taught a course uh, in May, June. I think it's the first course in Canada on pandemics and with a focus on the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, And it was quite a successful course. We had a great time uh, looking at mitigation measures across the country, uh, what was different across the provinces, and uh, just had great discussions about uh, mask uh, behaviors, what we're seeing as some of the students who are in different provinces in the country, what we think about masks, how protective are they. Uh, We... Created uh, infographics about the symptoms of COVID, and and we really it was really interesting because as with now, uh, what we were what we know about COVID is changing Mm -hmm. all the time. So it was interesting to see information at the beginning of the course uh, and and how information was changing by the end of the course. And this could be what are the measures that the government has has put in place. Uh, at the provincial level, level, federal level. Uh, So we were sort of right on top of what was going on. It was just a snapshot in time. But I think we could take away a lot uh, in terms of what are we experiencing as individuals, and what's going on at the population level? So in anthropology, we like to study at the population level. And so I, I was quite adamant that students would look like, you know, do comparisons between provinces in terms of the experience, What are populations that are uh, uh, quite vulnerable and high risk? and uh, we 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 did some examinations by like that of the prisons, long- term care homes. so, it quite, quite relevant, I think, and we also looked at uh, past pandemics, of course, 1918 mm-hmm. as, as well.
1: Now, the biggest thing with the Spanish flu that I think, again, some people are beginning to become aware of and thinking, well, how, how does that make sense, is because we're hearing so much about COVID being like, you know, long-term care homes, the seniors, mm-hmm. the elderly, mm-hmm. the Spanish flu, it was most prevalent, especially with fatalities, among younger people, which yes. is sort of strange to some extent. It,
3: that was something that was quite perplexing about uh, the 1918 uh, influenza pandemic, in that the young adults seemed to be more at risk of having severe infections and then of dying. And we call this uh, distribution of death a W-shape, because if you look at uh, across ages, you would see that young children and infants were still uh, high risk as well. And then we have the adults who were in their prime, about 20 to about 40 years of age, and then an increase in the elderly as well. But there's some argument across populations. Some say that they were spared because they may have had immunity because uh, they've gone through another pandemic in the late 1890s called the Russian flu. So Why? I guess the question is why were these young adults uh, more at risk of severe infection and why were they dying at higher rates? And that's still debated to this day. One explanation is that they could have had an overreactive immune response that made uh, their lungs more susceptible to pneumonia, a secondary infection, and then dying of that because... Many people died of a secondary infection of pneumonia or bronchial pneumonia. Uh, And/or it could have been that people of that age group were more likely to have tuberculosis, and then the interaction of tuberculosis with influenza or influenza may have predisposed them to be, or, or more likely to uh, be infected with uh, tuberculosis. So it could go the other way around, and then they're more likely to have a severe infection and die. And there's some other. Uh, very complicated immune uh, explanations for this as well, but no one has... You know, we don't have the answer. Mm-hmm. So it, this is a fear that we have when, we, um, that when we're concerned about influenza and, and that there being an influenza pandemic, that the young, healthy people could be the ones that are more at risk. We're not seeing that with COVID-19 no. as far as I know right
1: now. No. No.
3: Not at large numbers, yeah. at least. yes. Yeah.
1: Now, I'm thinking one thing which will make the job of people like you and your students and historians in the next several years a lot easier is there's a lot more information available about COVID than there would be on the Spanish flu. Because um, with the Spanish flu in 1918, I know there was no TV. I don't think the Internet was around yet. And I don't even think there was that much, if anything, in the way of radio. So it was basically just newspapers and they were basically local papers for the most part.
3: That's right, yes. Yeah. So getting information out there, there were posters as well, mm-hmm. uh, and the newspaper would be the other uh, way of uh, posting information. And I see those, uh, uh, those notices that were written by government officials, and they would post notices uh, saying, please, you know, Uh, wear a mask, it might be, or make sure your house has fresh air, or go outside occasionally, expose yourself to some sunlight. Uh, There were all sorts of things that uh, health officials were recommending, and some of them were sort of comical, but not at the time. uh, But uh, there was a basic understanding of of air, fresh air being good for you. Um, And so... uh, that was the, the primary way
1: of getting information out. And so now, I guess the biggest problem you may have is sorting through all the information that is available now on COVID.
3: Yes, but surprisingly, uh, there is uh, there has been quite a bit of research that has been done on, on COVID-19 hmm. while the pandemic has gone on and it's interesting to see studies that have been done very early on and, and then studies that are happening, you know, now and then in the future. I, I don't know the numbers, but I would assume that the, the number of studies, that, and I'm talking about academic uh, research uh, that has been completed to date on COVID-19 has probably, uh, there has never been this much uh, uh, research completed in such a short period of time on any particular disease.
1: Wow. And now, are you finding that a lot of the research is coming from all around the world, or is it concentrated in a few areas where the people are doing the research?
3: I would say the research is coming from around the world. Mm-hmm. The quality of the research is debatable, and there's there's a lot of discussion among academics. Are we pushing the research uh, too fast? Are we uh, are we vetting it, are peer reviewing it um, effectively? These are questions that we have. But I mean, it needs it needs to be done. I, I'm not an expert on the quality of the research. That's for sure, but. Uh, I would say it's it's being done around the world. There may be certain populations that are being studied more. I think early on I I saw more research on uh, Italy. Uh, We saw uh, some research. uh, Some of the earliest studies, of course, came out of China. Uh, But I I would say, by and large, there there is research that's being generated around the world and, um, and, and looking at countries everywhere that has been affected.
1: So you've already done one course, on pandemics, which you did last year, that must have been a very quick turnaround. If you were doing the course, I think you said in April and May? In, in May, and June. May and June, yeah. That's yeah. right, a couple of months after the pandemic started, and you already yep. had a course up and ready to go.
3: Yes, yes. Well, I was, you know, sort of just doing off the seat of my pants. I uh, mm-hmm. decided this is a good time to offer a course in pandemics. That I'm sure students would be interested. I generally teach a course called Plague from Peoples that looks at historical epidemics, um, uh, throughout time, and it's, it's you know, a, a quite uh, popular course, but I thought, well, this is this is a great time to, you know, take advantage of the fact that we're on, in a pandemic and have students work with uh, real data that may interest them while we're going through this pandemic, because the, the one of the benefits was that very early on in the pandemic, uh, most information that was being collected on the pandemic was being made uh, free mm-hmm. and accessible. It's not quite so much now. I'm finding, but early on, at least we could get some pretty good information in Canada um, and in other parts of the world as well. So that that was uh, one of the other reasons why I decided to uh, teach the course because students could have experience working with real data in real time.
1: Okay. Leanne Tripp, professor at UNBC, biomedical anthropologist. Thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us about the work you're doing, letting other people know about pandemics and especially about COVID. Thank you, Alan. Not Thank you for having me. Not a problem. Thank you. We will take a quick break and be back with more after nine.
2: Featuring the latest songs from artists in Canada and from around the world. Hosted by DJs from coast to coast to coast.
0: 30 minutes of Canada's newest music
4: downloaded exclusively from the Earshot's digital distribution system. For more information about the show, check out earshot-distro.ca.
2: Listen up, Canada. This is your show on your station. Canada's Earshot Daily. Earshot Daily, weekday nights at 1125, here on 93.1 CFIS-FM.
1: Monday, January 25th, is the True North Business Development Forum. Hosted by the Prince George Chamber of Commerce and presented by LNG Canada, the True North Business Development Forum is a half-day program focused on increasing resiliency and prosperity in Northern BC.
2: Keynote speaker David Irvine's topic will be Leading Through Disruption, and there will be a panel hosted by the Women's Enterprise Centre. Register at pgchamber.bc.ca or email admin at
1: pgchamber.bc.ca for tickets. The True North Business Development Forum, Monday, January 25th, online.
2: Your public library is committed to anti-racism. The library board has produced a list of actions to solidify this commitment. Actions include reviewing and updating library procedures to ensure people of color are treated with dignity and respect, developing a policy that supports the recruitment of people of color at all levels of the organization, and creating programs and events specifically for people of color. The entire statement can be found online at pgpl.ca statements slash anti-racism
1: forecast from environment canada a mix of sun and cloud today wind from the south at 20 gusting to 40 this afternoon a high of zero with an afternoon wind chill to minus seven tonight becoming cloudy late this evening with a 60 percent chance of flurries overnight gusting south winds continuing the temperature near zero a mix of sun and cloud on friday more gusting south winds and a high of four
0: thank you for tuning in and staying tuned to after nine on 93.1 cfis fm
1: well, it's mid January, which means we're starting to get some groups getting their uh, reports for 2020 out, letting us know how things went last year. A very strange year, of course, in a lot of respects. One of those groups was the Northern BC Crime Stoppers Vice President Ron Palillo joins me this morning. Good morning, Ron. Good morning, Alan. Now, first thing I want to talk about is the name Northern BC Crime Stoppers. I don't think I've talked to you guys before, really, have I? Uh, no. Um, so
5: this has been a process that's actually been going on for a few years. Um, the Prince George program um, has grown um, over the last few years, taking over some smaller programs. This started uh, a couple uh, years ago when we um, took over the um, Cornell area. The uh, program there and the, and the board um, it was very successful for many years, but, you know, like uh, a lot of Nonprofits and boards—they were struggling to attract uh, board members, and uh, they decided to um, uh, unfortunately close things down. So we said, "Yeah, we'll we'll take over tips and uh, administer the program from Prince George," and then it just kind of grew from there to the point where you know we all, um, you know, longtime board members like myself had this vision and plan that um, we could serve a larger area than the Prince George area. And um, so what happened is um, just over time we started inheriting these smaller programs to the point where now we're covering almost two-thirds of
1: uh, British Columbia. Wow. And it's still based out of Prince George.
5: Correct, yeah. We uh, we have uh, a very uh, vibrant and uh, very active board here in Prince George. Uh, it'll be based out of Prince George. But our, our ultimate plan, and this is going to take a while, is to hopefully have uh, board members, um, you know, throughout Northern British Columbia and some of the communities we serve. So uh, ultimately it would act as a regional board, but uh, the program would be administered
1: and headquartered here from Prince George. And the nice thing, of course, is now with modern technology, you can have those board members in other communities and not have to worry about them having to get into Prince George to attend a meeting. You can do it remotely.
5: Exactly, uh, and that's what uh, one of the lessons that COVID has, has left is uh, Zoom. Over Zoom, uh, you, it's amazing um, how much business you, you can get done, and, and the things you can do online. Um, you know, with Zoom and Microsoft Teams and other um, technologies like that. So um, that is the uh, ultimate goal and vision, and um, we're really excited about it.
1: So now, I believe. Is January Crime Stoppers Month? I can't remember. It
5: is, yeah. Uh, Nationally, provincially, um, January is uh, Crime Stoppers Month. Mm -hmm. And usually at this time of year, um, you would see Crime Stoppers out and about in the community. Uh, We usually uh, see us uh, at Prince George Cougars games and Spruce Kings games and UNBC basketball games. We've uh, set up in the mall before. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, because of COVID, we're not able to... uh, do those community events so what we're really focusing this year for crime stoppers month is this transition from prince george crime stoppers to northern bc crime stoppers and there's a lot of exciting things uh, to come uh this month
1: now does the name change mean anything to the average person who maybe is going to be calling in a tip like the phone number is still the same and everything right
5: Exactly, yeah. It's uh, really just much a a legal change, and really, uh, like I say, to represent what was actually happening with the Prince George program over the last few years. So this is uh, really reflecting what current practice, and no, everything is exactly the same. Um, There's two ways to call in a tip. Uh, Of course, the toll-free line, which is good anywhere in British Columbia, in fact, Canada, 1-800-22-TIPS, one 800 Uh, 222-8477. And then you can also go online to our website, um, pgcrimestoppers.bc.ca, and submit a tip there. And one of the things that we will be uh, doing this month at Crime Stoppers is unveiling our brand new uh, website. Um, So um, the name change will, will reflect our website soon before the end of this month. So... Um, that will change to northernbccrimestoppers.bc.ca by the end of the month. We're just working on that now. Along with that, uh, we're working on a great new logo. Uh, we're just putting the finishing touches on that. And we introduced uh, a new mascot. Oh, okay. and, and the new mascot is called It, And uh, it's an owl. That's what I was about to and, say. Yeah, nice. and, uh, and for those of people who uh, watch television, you may have seen... The uh, Crime Stoppers uh, commercial on CKBG-TV or Global or CTV, mm-hmm. uh, it has been running um, um, the last month or so, and it features our brand new uh, mascot, which uh, you know we're really
1: excited to get out there in the communities and feature as well. Now, last year, wow! Looking at the stats from last year, the number of tips you received just went through the roof. Yeah, and we're really
5: excited about that. Um, now, mind you, some of that is inherited from the other programs. Mm-hmm. So the 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 last uh, kind of piece of this puzzle of this regional puzzle is that in November um, we uh, took over the northeast part of the province. So that is Fort Saint John and, and Dawson Creek. Mm-hmm. Um, so from the Fort Saint John and Dawson Creek area had a very successful Crime Stoppers for for many years. And, like I say, unfortunately, there was some change in the board members and and they just really struggled in in uh, recruiting some board members and And the current board there said, "You know, um, this is a very successful program. Essentially, we can do the same things um, with uh, headquartered under Prince George, and we um, can't do an agreement to take over that that area." Uh, and that just happened in, in November. Wow. so so just from the Dawson Creek and Fort St. John area, about 150 tips uh, in 2020. Now, uh, so that contributed to our, our total. But if you actually look of the Prince George area, uh, last year we had about 700 uh, tips. And uh, in the Prince George area, uh, we were uh, in, the ex- in the excess of about 850 tips. So we did, in fact, have a record year here in the Prince George area. And uh, like I say, just shy of 1,000 tips, 997
1: uh, with all the programs. Wow. So, again, now, is there any reason, I'm guessing you have probably been talking with people in some of the other communities, has anybody come up with a reason why there were so many more tips last year? Yeah, you know, it's kind of, I believe it's a
5: couple factors. Um, uh, One, I think uh, people now understand what Crime Stoppers is and what we do more than ever before. So I think the brand awareness of Crime Stoppers has increased significantly, especially in the Prince George area in the last uh, five years. You know, I've been involved in the program almost 20 years. And in terms of brand awareness and recognition of Crime Stoppers, you know, when I talk to people about it, um, they know what it is and how it functions. And and I think um, that is a testament of brand awareness. And uh, I think as well, I think people are safe and comfortable, that they're, you know, they're willing to reach out to Crime Stoppers anonymously and give this important information that um, we give to police. And uh, police, of course, investigate it. And and in many, um, you know, um, cases, it leads to arrests. And, you know, we had a record year for arrests, too. We went from... uh, 14 arrests in the Prince George area in 2019 to 31. Uh, So we had some significant, um, you know, arrests in uh, 2020. So, you know, I think the fact that people understand um, what Crime Stoppers does, the impact that it has, and the fact that, um, you know, they feel safe and comfortable giving that valuable information, um, it all has led to this record year for TIPS.
1: Okay, we are going to have to take a quick break, Ron. When we come back, we're going to talk some more about Crime Stoppers after 9.
2: By order of the provincial health officer, all adult indoor and outdoor team sports in civic facilities are suspended effective immediately. Youth sport groups may still book ice time, but these events will be under phase two of Via Sports Return Sport Guidelines, restricted to practices and training involving non contact activities. The CN Center walking program will continue and the aquatic center remains open, but no spectators are allowed in any civic sports facilities. Full details are available on the COVID nineteen web page at princegeorge.ca.
4: Two Rivers Gallery is proud to present Troy Lindstrom's new body of work in the Rustad Galleria. Positive practice, acts of kindness, and creating with disability includes portraits of people who have supported and inspired Troy as an artist with a disability.
2: Positive practice is on display in the Rustad Galleria through Saturday at Two Rivers Gallery, open Tuesday through Saturday from 10 to 5, Thursdays until 9.
4: Two Rivers Gallery, where creativity flows in the Canada Games Plaza.
2: A new public policy allows visitors to apply for a work permit without having to leave Canada. This temporary policy change benefits employers in Canada who continue to face difficulties finding the workers they need, as well as temporary residents who would like to contribute their labour and skills to Canada's recovery from the COVID-19 pandemic. Instructions for the process are available at Canada.ca. Click Immigration and Citizenship, followed by Work, then Get a Work Permit, and finally, Temporary Workers.
4: Your child can wave away winter and usher in spring with colorful creations at the next Pro-D Day Creativity Camp. Open to children from grades 1 through 7, it's a great way to keep the winter blues at bay. Contact the gallery for full details and registration or visit their Facebook page. The next Pro-D Creativity Camp Goodbye Winter Woes, Friday, February 5th from 9 to 4.30 at Two Rivers Gallery where creativity flows in the Canada Games Plaza.
0: This is After 9 on Prince George's Community Station,
1: 93.1 CFISFN. So, Ron, when people call into Crime Stoppers, of course, it's all anonymous. Is there any data that you get as to what kinds of crimes people are calling in about? Like, are a lot of them major crimes? Are a lot of them somebody spotted somebody shoplifting or something like that?
5: Um, yeah, so, uh, reminder, uh, Crime Stoppers... Um, it should be used uh, for information after a crime mm-hmm. um, has been done. So, if it's, say, you know, your shop, shoplifting example, if you actually see a crime in progress, you should call the police first. Yeah. Um, but so this is information regarding any sort of crime uh, after the fact. Um, and yeah, it varies from uh, most wanted, uh, you know, every week we publish a most wanted. Um, usually we highlight three individuals. And it's quite often by uh, the end of the next week when we publish new ones, um, you know, we usually have the public help us. And, um, you know, we usually have one or two that have been identified and picked up already. So it's everything from most wanted to drugs to property crimes to uh, all kinds of crimes. Um, It really varies. Uh, Yes, the majority is, um, you know, um uh, uh, drugs and um, um, you know uh, property crimes, mm-hmm. but um the um, the crimes vary from like I say anything from most wanted to uh, uh, even crimes uh, um, you know that deal with um, um, you know people um, chopping down illegal trees um, so it it varies
1: now is there sort of a timeline in terms of when people should call the police as opposed to when they should call crime shoppers. I'm thinking I'm in an electronics store, say I was in there a few weeks ago before Christmas, I saw somebody pick up um, like a uh, DVD player or something, and of course I didn't really think anything of it, and then I read that that the, they had a theft of a DVD player from the store, and this was a few weeks ago. Is there sort of a timeline as to when you call the RCP and when you call Crime Stoppers?
5: No, uh, not really. Um, you know, in, in that particular case, um, you know, you could call the uh, the police if you're comfortable giving the information to them, or you could choose to give the information anonymously through Crime Stoppers. Um so um, anything, you know, if that crime is still unsolved and you have valid information to contribute to an investigation, call. Call and give that information. Uh, so many times it's, it's uh, many weeks or even years after the fact that they get that one piece of information that leads to certain things that they can actually, um, you know, make an arrest.
1: So, again, talking about weeks or even years If, for some reason, somebody in the community remembers something about the Madison Landry case, which is a few years ago now, they would have that same option, right? They could call the police, or they could just call Crime Stoppers.
5: Absolutely, yeah, and that's one of our more uh, Mm high-profile cases. Um, Even, uh, you know, I'm going back here, uh, Nicole Hoare Mm as well, too. Um, We were very involved at that time trying to get information. Um, In fact, we worked closely with the family. And in fact, at one point, we even had um, her face on our uh, vehicle uh, as a way to hopefully you know get information to police to solve um, that crime so absolutely any inv- any investigation that is active if you have uh, if you think you have some valuable information uh, and you want to do it anonymously, call crime stoppers and give that
1: information so now we were talking earlier about how each week you do a most wanted usually with three criminals. Have you expanded that beyond Prince George? Like, is that something now where you may get somebody who is on the most wanted list in Dawson Creek, and they may ask you guys to post their person as a most wanted? Yeah,
5: there's there's so many ways and so many things that we can do. Uh, that could be conceivably one thing that we do as well. Um, you know, on our website, you know, we could post that um, or individually in those areas uh, using uh, the media in in those particular areas, helping us getting that word out. And, you know, and that's one thing, you know, I wanted to touch on before, you know, we wrap up is that this program works because it's it's a partnership. It's a partnership between um, the media, um, you know, the great folks like you, um, the public that obviously gives gives us the uh, information, and um, you know it's uh, it, it, and and the police and the police that investigate um, the information. So without those three key factors, uh, the program doesn't work. And uh, you know, on behalf of all the board at Northern BC Crime Stoppers, we just want to thank um, uh, you know our our valuable partnerships like the police uh, and the media. And you, the public, that call and, you know, really trust us with the um, information to investigate these crimes and 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 help keep our areas and our communities and our cities safe and a better place to live. So thank you. I mean, you're really part of our, our success.
1: Now, I think we'll probably be talking about this before it happens, but just you've got a community shredded event coming up in a couple of months.
5: Yes, yes. Um, Yeah, thank you for bringing that up, because I wanted to bring that up. Uh, So one of the things um, that we've been doing over the last uh, four or five years here in Prince George, and ideally this is another thing that we like to launch in our other communities as well, too, because it's been very successful, is our Community Shredded event. Mm -hmm. And we've teamed up, speaking of partnerships, we've teamed up with Shredded Mobile Shredded uh, Services, and they have two trucks, and uh, twice a year, spring and fall, usually the last... Saturday in April and the last Saturday in September we set up um, at um, uh, at the last a couple times at the PGSS parking lot and then uh, people uh, can come and uh, shred their personal uh, documents for donation to crime stoppers and this uh, event has grown uh, dramatically over the years and uh, we've got one coming up because um, I know a lot of people keep on asking me, Ron, what, what, when is that credit coming up? So it's coming up, and all the information is on our our website as well and our Facebook page. Uh, Saturday, April twenty fourth, at the PGSS parking lot, ten to two. So, you know, uh, we hope to roll out this expanded program throughout um, Northern British Columbia as well, too.
1: So. So, Ron, we're almost out of time. One more time, though. What is the phone number? What's the website for Northern BC Crime Stoppers?
5: Yeah, the phone number is 1 800 222 TIPS, 1 800 8477. And uh, the, uh, we- the website now mm-hmm. is pgcrimestoppers.bc.ca. Um, but the new uh, website will be northernbccrimestoppers.bc.ca by the end of the month. So.
1: Ron Palevo, thank you very much for coming on, bringing us up to date on Northern BC Crime Stoppers. Yeah. You're welcome. Okay. Take a quick break and be back with more after nine.
2: Prince George Crime Stoppers is now Northern BC Crime Stoppers. Coming off another record year, your local Crime Stoppers organization is geared up to receive tips from across Northern BC anonymously 24-7, 365 days a year. Call 1-800-222-TIPS or make your submission online at pgcrimestoppers.bc.ca. Don't miss the next Community Shredded event Saturday, April 24th at the PGSS parking lot to dispose of personal documents safely and securely with Northern B.C. Crime Stoppers. The College of New Caledonia's blueprint for the future is beginning to take form as its new strategic plan enters
1: the next phase. CNC's Board of Governors has identified four key areas of focus for this strategic plan and are now asking for your perspectives on these priorities through a new online survey. For a link to the new survey or more information on CNC's strategic planning process, visit cnc.bc.ca slash cncnext 50 the survey for public input to the ongoing development of CNC's strategic plan is available
2: through Wednesday. The Seniors Resource Centre at 721 Victoria Street is now open Monday through Thursday. People can come to the centre between 945 and 145 to access the services they need. Please do not come if you're experiencing any signs of illness such as fever or a cough or have had recent contact with someone who is isolating. Wearing a mask at the centre is mandatory. The Seniors Resource Centre, 721 Victoria Street, open Monday through Thursday from 945 to 145. Forecast from
1: Environment Canada... mix of sun and cloud today, wind from the south at 20 gusting to 40 this afternoon, a high of zero with an afternoon wind chill to minus 7. Tonight, becoming cloudy late this evening with a 60% chance of flurries overnight, gusting south winds continuing, the temperature near zero. A mix of sun and cloud on Friday, more gusting south winds and a high of 4.
0: You're listening to After 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM.
1: Anyway, we're now going to go to something that we're hoping will become possibly a monthly feature. Kaylee Vanderbeer joins me today, this morning, from Books and Company. Now, Kaylee, I have heard that your title there is She Who Must Be Obeyed, but what is your <gasps> official title? Alan! <laughs> <laughs> not, not the title. <laughs> what is your official
6: title? Uh, I am the Prince George bookstore manager.
1: Okay. But you, you have to admit, She Who Must Be Obeyed has a nice ring to it, doesn't it?
6: Uh, you know, it feels a little bit too dictator for me. Not hey, quite my style, but we do call Owen the captain of the ship.
1: Okay, I was going to say, Kaylee, remember, I have been in the store. I have talked to you.
6: Hey, okay, but...
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, how? It, it's been a while since we've had anybody from Books and Company on. Mm-hmm. How, I, 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 this is one of those questions where I already know the answer, but how has the store adopted to COVID-19 and the new regulations?
6: Uh, it's been a lot. It's mm. been a heck of a, a year, for sure. Mm. Um, we have, I think we've kind of leveled out. I, I regret saying that out loud now. I feel like that's going to jinx it, but, mm. um, we, uh, I think we've kind of found the sweet spot for, um, enforcing policies and, uh, making sure that everybody's staying safe. We've gotten a lot of, um, thanks from a lot of members in the community for the measures that we do take, so we feel pretty good about that, and uh, I think we've, with December out of the way now, uh, the team is able to breathe again, catch their breath, and uh, we can focus a little bit more on projects around the store, but it's definitely been a heck of a year, a lot of new things to learn.
1: Now, in December, were there fears that you may have to be telling people at the door you can't come in right now because we've already got our limit."
6: We've, I think we only ever had to pull that out twice.
1: Oh, well, okay.
6: Yeah. So it feels a lot more crowded in here mm. than it usually ends up being with the numbers. But, uh, yeah, the the few times that we did, though, people were pretty understanding. So that was a, a nice experience.
1: Now, the other thing, of course, that I think people are, I'm guessing people are saying, did you notice, was there an uptick at least or maybe even a surge in online orders? Oh, yeah. mm
6: Oh, yeah. Yeah, we've put so much more time into the web store, and we're really fortunate that the folks that make our point-of-sale system, uh, they're just located in uh, mm-hmm. Kelowna. And they've been putting a lot of uh, development towards online shopping for independent bookstores that use their software. Mm-hmm. So we've been uh, taking full advantage of all the work that they're doing.
1: So because you had people could order books online or by phone, And if they want to, they can curbside pickup. Do you still offer the curbside pickup? Sure do. Okay.
6: Yeah, we got curbside pickup. We've got home delivery for folks that live within the PG City Limits. And then we also, of course, uh, send out packages uh, out to folks farther out uh, every week as well.
1: And people can actually still come into the store and buy books and pay for them in the store, too, can't they? Absolutely. Yes. I know that's what I do a lot. Uh, You know (laughs) that. and now there's a new layout at the store as well partly mm-hmm. because unfortunately you lost one of the other aspects of the store.
6: Yeah, yeah, we had to uh say goodbye to the cafe uh at least for now mm-hmm. uh in mid December we had just too many uh too many health concern with concerns yeah. with it and you know COVID really isn't a great thing for for sales with that kind of business.
1: So I guess sort of the benefit of it, if you will, was all of a sudden Books and Company had a lot more room to work with.
6: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's something that we're kind of getting used to, mm-hmm. trying to figure out how we're going to
1: use it. Now, do you have customers coming in and still looking rather confused and having to oh. go to the staff and say, where are these books located now?
6: Yeah, Uh, no, we've got folks coming in trying to figure out where they're supposed to go to get their coffee (laughs) Oh. <laughs> that happens a couple times a day still, so we have to very gently break it to them that that's that's not a thing that they can do here anymore. No. So that that's a, always a fun conversation. But um, the sorting out of the sections has actually been pretty intuitive so far. I haven't had too many folks who have completely lost sight of their section. Now that being said, and you haven't seen it yet because I literally was just here till eleven last night working on it, oh. is we just moved our cookbook section to uh, the cafe side. So uh, that one I expect will have a few uh, lost and confused folks.
1: Yes, but at the same time, it sort of makes sense, the cookbooks Mm. on the cafe side.
6: Yeah, yeah, and I'm quite excited. It's got a lot more room now. We can showcase a couple of books a little bit better, and it lets our, uh, our puzzles and our games and everything breathe a bit because COVID and puzzles seem to go hand in hand.
1: Yes, I have noticed that with people I know. It's like, okay, I'm finished that jigsaw puzzle. I've got 14 more to go. (laughs) Yeah.
6: I have never done puzzles. In COVID, I have done three puzzles, and I am the proud owner of a couple more.
1: And you guys expanded your puzzle section, too, I'm pretty sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah,
6: Yeah. and it was funny because a lot of, uh, you know, bookstores are everywhere kind of doing the same, I find. Mm -hmm. So we were trying to find any source of good quality puzzles that we could Mm -hmm. so we started bringing in some brands that we haven't brought in before and they've been doing really well so I'm quite excited for uh, the new um, suppliers that we have gotten into now.
1: So now that's something I'm assuming you guys keep fairly close track of so that as time goes along and we get past COVID you'll know maybe which ones you should keep bringing in and which ones we can maybe cut back on because they just weren't selling.
6: Yeah, yeah, that's the hope anyway.
1: Mm-hmm.
6: I would like to think that we'll learn, but, you know, times are hard. Yep. Yeah.
1: Okay. Kaylee, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come mm-hmm. back, we're actually going to start talking about books. Oh, okay,
2: that's af- a good idea. After nine. The Grizzly Bear Foundation has launched a brand new podcast series. GrizzCast is hosted by Grizzly Bear Foundation Executive Director Nicholas Scappolatti and features conversations with naturalists, guides, explorers, and more, uncovering their most intimate grizzly bear stories and delving into what conservation means to them. A new episode of the GrizzCast will be released on the first Monday of each month. The Grizzly Bear Foundation's GrizzCast, available through the GrizzCast link at grizzlybearfoundation.com. Hi, I'm Tom Savage. We love our Spotify. We love our Apple Music.
4: It's a wonderful thing to have all the music in the world at your fingertips. But the big downside is that these streaming services pay fractions of a penny per streamed artist, and that doesn't buy a lot of groceries. So if you're really digging in an album, reach out to that musician or band, make a donation, buy some physical merchandise, help them keep creating great music for you. We can't rely on giant
2: corporations to do the right thing. We as music fans need to put our own value on music. Let's keep that creative engine going. Join Wendy Framst for Winter Wonderland in February. Learn about texture, positive and negative shapes, and how to incorporate these in your artistic compositions. It's all from the comfort of your own home via Zoom. Registration is available through tworiversgallery.ca or by contacting the gallery. Winter Wonderland, an online art course from Wendy Framst, Tuesday evenings from 7 to 9 in February through Two Rivers Gallery, Where creativity flows online at tworiversgallery.ca At the YMCA
3: get ready to say hello to a brand new year. We're here for your new possibilities igniting new passions and making new memories together. Join your new active and supportive community today and you will gain access to everything you need to reach your health and fitness goals including drop-in fitness classes great weight floor amenities court sports like basketball and badminton childminding and so much more all included with your membership. Join the YMCA and save $50 with no joiner fee. Visit nbc.ymca.ca to learn more.
0: Keeping you up to date on current news and events in and around Prince George, this is After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM.
1: So, Kaylee, we've spent some time talking about the company part, if you will, of books and company. Now let's talk about books. What are some of the books that you know of that are coming out in the next couple of months that you're really looking forward to having on the shelves?
6: Mm, there are a lot of really cool ones coming out in, in 2021 I think the biggest one And I think the one that's got the lowest, most local um, energy behind it Is the last book I think, yeah, it's the last book in Eden Robinson's Trickster Trilogy ah. Return of the Trickster is coming out in the beginning of March And mm-hmm. I am so excited And I really hope that it's a huge seller
1: So have the other two books done fairly well?
6: They have. Well, Son of a Trickster was in Canada Reads last year,
1: mm-hmm.
6: and uh, obviously it got picked up for uh, a TV series, and then, you know, her Monkey Beach. I think there's some more going on with Monkey Beach as well. Yeah. Um, so that's super exciting, and, uh, and they've sold really well. People have picked up, a lot of people have picked up Son of the Trickster, especially over the last year, and uh, now they're kind of working their way through the second mm-hmm. book, and they're all itching for that third one. So. Yeah.
1: Do you find local books do get a fair bit of play down there at Books and Company?
6: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I find them to be a little bit more cyclical. You'll see, like, you know, a book mm. will come out locally and there'll be uh, an article in the newspaper Like you'll have folks on your show and we'll get a, a mad rush of folks running down here. Case in point, no old, bold pilots mm. it has been insane. It's yeah. been nuts how it's flying off the shelf and <laughs> the poor woman <laughs> <laughs> Has had to reprint, and, like, we call her, we were calling her in December constantly, being like, hey, we need another 20 copies. Could you just get them down to us? It was, it was,
1: it was an ordeal. But it was the type of phone call you enjoy making, and I'm sure she enjoyed oh, yeah. getting. Yeah, oh, it's always fun. And again, that, that to me is one of the other things that helps to sell a book, I think to some extent, is a title like that short and memorable. Mm-hmm, absolutely. So now, um, besides the Eden Robinson book... Are there any other local books that you know of coming out in the next little while?
4: Because
1: mm. I know, you, know you, you just had the Kathy Nadelin her second volume of stories about local people, and I th- mm-hmm. think I saw the Trel Moro book in there with postcards.
6: Oh yeah, book? yeah, yeah! I can definitely talk you talk to you a little bit about the ones that have come out. Kathy yeah. Nadelin's book came out uh, a little while ago, mm-hmm. and I would imagine that uh, there's going to be a never-ending source of stories about local folks. But I know that the that uh, Kathy was put through the ringer with the last one in terms of mm-hmm. having to pump them out enough to keep up with demand. So we'll see. <laughs> but uh, Trell's book is incredible, The Postcards of yeah. Prince George.
1: Yeah, because it, it's not something a lot of people might associate as a book that you would get from somebody like Trell Morrow because he's so well-known as an architect. You'd be thinking he'd be doing books about the architecture of Prince George and not postcards. Mm-hmm. Well, he's uh, the investment that he has in local
6: history and the knowledge and the connections that he has is just insane. And he's been wonderful enough to sit down with me and kind of bring me briefs when he's working on something new. And uh, so when he brought in uh, the binder full of research that he's done for this <laughs> Postcards of Prince George one, uh, he was telling me about some of the connections that he's got done in Vancouver and they were working together to build up this collection. But... Uh, yeah, no, the man's just got this insane, like, history that he, thankfully, uh, puts down on paper for all of us to take part in. Yeah. But, uh, no, the postcard book is in- incredible. And he's still got
1: so much energy, too. Oh, yeah, yeah, no. I mean, he yep. probably finished that book, and the next day he was already saying, okay, what can I do next? Mm-hmm. And, no, it's not going to be a jigsaw puzzle. I don't want to do jigsaw puzzles.
6: Yeah, no, that's the, you know that'll be the next thing. Trell Morrow's Prince George jigsaw puzzle. We don't have one of those in, in stock yet.
1: Okay, if Trell's listening, you may have just given him an idea for something.
6: there you go, trell, yeah, yep
1: now, um, are there any areas of interest that you find people coming into books and company have that maybe surprise you a little bit in terms of what kinds of books they're looking for
6: uh yeah yeah the the big one last summer was bird watching oh okay yeah, that went that went real nuts, uh, I think it was summer and fall mm-hmm. um the bread uh the bread i don't want to say trend because i don't think it's a trend but mm-hmm. there w- there was a period of time where all of our bread cookbooks we couldn't keep them on the shelf because everybody wanted to make their own sourdough and mm-hmm. and like the staples i'm finding are selling well i just just uh stocking that new cookbook section and we're going to have to beef up a lot of those uh staples
1: and beef, beef up i got it
6: yeah <laughs> so um
1: I, I guess it's the sort of thing where you look back at it now and you're saying, well, yeah, with COVID, more people at home, more mm-hmm. people trying to get outdoors. Yeah. bird watching makes more sense. More people at home don't want to go out to eat. Yeah. Cookbooks make more sense. Absolutely. And at the time, you're kind of going, why is everybody buying bird watching books?
6: <laughs> yeah, that one caught me. And it's not really a hobby that's been on my radar in the past. So mm-hmm. I think that's more why it caught me by surprise. But we have a very active local bird watching community. So it was neat to see everybody come out. And we've got um, uh, Clive Keen's mm-hmm. uh, bird watching book. He's a local author, and his book is, is pretty funny in addition to being uh, informative about uh, local wildlife. So,
1: mm-hmm. yeah. So did you find a lot of interest in just the outdoors section in general, especially around the area? Because I know you've got a lot of books on, like, trails and parks and Mm -hmm. everything around Prince George. Did you find those were moving better than they had been?
6: They absolutely have been, yeah. The um, Central Interior Trail Guide put out by the Caledonia Ramblers Mm -hmm. and uh, Rob Bryce's Hiking North Central BC, those two have been on our bestseller list for It's March.
1: Wow. Yeah. So basically, since a certain thing happened...
6: Mm Mm-hmm.
1: Now, do do local authors usually come to you in terms of wondering if you will stock a book before or after they write
6: it? Uh, Usually after. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. We do pretty regularly have folks... Uh, that will come in and just ask questions about what that process looks like. And we do actually have a section on our website that is for uh, authors and artists. And there's an an author kind of like Q&A of all the questions that I get asked every time someone is putting out a book or has put out a book and they kind of want to figure out how to start that process. So you can find that information on the website, but folks are more than welcome to come in and say hi.
1: Now, I know, again, with COVID, a lot of the events you normally have had have had to be canceled or, Mm -hmm. at the very best, postponed, and probably for quite some time. Do you have anything coming up at Books and Company in the next little while?
6: We do. Obviously, we're not running, like, you know, come in on this one night for two hours and listen to music. Yeah. I wish that that could be a Mm -hmm. thing, but... Um, so, yeah, so nothing uh, singular such as that, but we are going to run our three for two bargain sales again this year.
1: You guys have a three for two bargain sales? Oh, yeah, didn't you hear about it? No, I'd never. Yeah, heard about it yeah.
6: <laughs> yeah, I never know what it is, though, so I have to get this random guy to remind me every time he's in the store. Oh yeah
1: yeah. It, I, I would be suspecting it might be say january the twenty ninth
6: <laughs> Yeah, so the last Friday of every month, yeah, um, all
1: of our a- bargains. Last yep. month, you had to change it.
6: Last month, we did change it just so that it fell before Christmas. We didn't yes. have to, but we were like, "Yeah, it's COVID. Like, we'll cut people a break. So we we moved it to the week before Christmas. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a little bit busier that day than mm-hmm. I think we probably would have liked, given the Christmas rush as well. Yeah. So I think we might have learned our lesson on that one, and we won't be doing mm-hmm. that next year, but or this year, I guess. But um but yeah, so it, for this year, it is the last Friday of the month, and all of the bargain books in store, anything with the sticker on the front, will be uh, three for the price of two. So essentially, you buy two, you get the cheap, another one free.
1: Now, I know the other thing, and I don't know whether it's sort of an official component of Books and Company or not, is art space.
6: Mm-hmm. Is there anything
1: happening up there at all?
6: Not right now. <sighs> um I'm not really sure what that's going to look like going forward, and to be honest with you, I haven't given it a lot of thought. <laughs> um, I'm hoping maybe, maybe this month we'll be able to spare a couple of brain cells for it, but um, we are going to work on um, a few renovations. We got that beautiful mur- mural that uh, Beatrice Scoble put up there last mm-hmm. year, uh, or maybe it was two years ago now, and uh, I have uh, a room that we are going to look at renting out uh, month by month as a pop-up shop. Okay. I haven't made the full renovations, and we haven't 100% committed to that idea. But it's something that I've wanted to do for so long, and I think with COVID and a lot of folks, especially artsy folks uh, who are stuck at home and are wanting to um, have the opportunity to, like, you know, sell some of the stuff that they're working on, I think it'll be super cool.
1: Okay, Kaylee Vandermeer from Books and County we got to wrap it up. What's the website? I think that's the easiest way for people to get all the information they need.
6: Mm -hmm. It is www.booksandcompany.ca.
1: And the and is spelled out, correct? All spelled out, yep. Okay. Kaylee Vandermeer from Books and Company, thank you very much. And we'll see if we can do this on a more regular basis this year. I would like that. Okay. Awesome. That'll do it for today's show. Tomorrow, of course, as usual, CBC Front Burner to start, and then the panel after 9. After
0: Nine is a daily presentation of CFISFM. After Nine is produced by Alan Wishart, Reg Fair, and Nathan Gita, with guest producer Neil Godbu of the Prince George Citizen. Additional contributors include CBC News and the National Campus and Community Radio Association. For a rebroadcast of today's program, check out the podcast link at cfisfm.ca. To provide feedback or suggestions for the show, please email cfisfm at yahoo.ca. Owned and operated by the Prince George Community Radio Society, you're listening to CFIS-FM Prince George, a not-for-profit community radio station broadcasting with 500 watts of power at 93.1 FM.